Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Well, good morning, church. I don't really know how to transition from a, a heavy and weighty um, topic like that. Um, so let's just dive in. Uh, Luke six forty three through 45, that's where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Luke six forty three through 45. As you turn, we're, uh, we are continuing on in the book of Luke. We're in the middle of Luke's testimony of, of the famous Sermon on the Mount. Um, that Jesus taught to his disciples and to the followers that he had at the time. And, and over the past couple of weeks, what we've seen is Jesus has been expounding uh, on the design of God to love others, and, uh, which includes our enemies. Um, and the idea of loving others, it includes the command of, of judging others even. That's what we looked at last week. Um, and how you can do that in a way that is for the benefit of, of others, not the tearing down or the condemnation of them, but rather for uh, for ultimately their joy, um, for their peace of soul, for their peace of mind when it comes to bringing them to the Lord. And one of the ways to kind of sum that up is what we see in Psalm 141, where David prays to God and he asks for the very thing we talked about last week. This is how he put it: "Do not let my heart incline to any evil." to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. David is simply asking God to help him not sin. All right, that's what he wants. I don't want to sin, and so so keep me from it. And the way in which he kind of implores God to help keep him from it is verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their, and he's referring to his head and heart, their evil deeds. And so David is welcoming rebuke from the righteous, the spiritually mature, in order to help live a life of worship to God. And one of the things that David identifies here as the problem for why he commits sin is the inclination of the heart. The inclination of the heart. And I think this is where Jesus starts really diving even deeper into this message that he's teaching his disciples is is where all of our um, actions and thoughts and words, what what it actually flows from when it comes to to the heart. And so let's look at this together as we look at Psalm or uh, Luke 6, 43 through 45 and see if the righteousness of God might kindly strike us this morning as we look at his word. Verse 43, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So I got really three points for you today that we're going to be looking at. One is identity matters. 
Two is recognition matters. And then three is heart matters. Um, and those three things really are pulled out of this text to be able to help us see how the righteous person actually lives a life that is under the banner of gospel centrality. Like this, this actually shows us whether or not we are believers, where that comes from, and what's produced out of the life of a believer. And so looking at this first point, identity matters. Good tree bears good fruit. Bad tree bears bad fruit. All right, that, that seems or sounds interesting. And so when we pull this into the, the idea of identity, what you are matters. Who you are matters. And when we think about identity, we might first think about maybe a driver's license or some form of ID. Usually tells us what our name is, uh, where we're from, where we live, how old we are, what color our eyes are, etc. Those things allow someone to kind of make some judgments about who we are and, and where we come from. When it comes to the Bible, your identity is bound up in really two primary things. Either... Um, what family lineage you belong to from a physical standpoint, and whether or not you are righteous or unrighteous from a spiritual standpoint. When you look throughout the entire Bible and it identifies somebody, it is usually identifying them from physical lineage of family and also the state of their spiritual condition, righteous or unrighteous. From a physical standpoint, you might have certain rights or privileges depending on which family you belong to, what name you bear. And from a spiritual standpoint, you have certain rights and privileges, depending on whether or not you are considered righteous or unrighteous. If you are of the family of David, for example, you go to Bethlehem for the census. Who you are matters. What you are matters. Identity matters. If your identity is righteous, you can commune with God. And if it is unrighteous, no communion with God. Whether you are righteous or not is dependent on whether or not God has ultimately saved you. Whether or not he saved you. And so we see this identity come from passages like Romans 8, 3-5, where it says this. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Essentially, the law is put into effect. The law is the standard of righteousness. The law is a good thing that is brought in by God. But because of our flesh, our identity of unrighteousness, we are not able to uphold the righteousness of the law. And so, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So now he's putting kind of unrighteousness and righteousness in two categories. Flesh and Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Referring to the Spirit of God. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's changed your identity. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. What family are we a part of? Who do we belong to? Whose are we? If Christ is in you, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, then you belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of 
righteousness. Righteousness. So it's drawing on the identity of righteousness because Spirit of Christ is in us. So we have one of two identities, flesh or Spirit of God. One is unrighteousness, the other is righteous. One is hell-bound, the other is heaven-bound. If Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, that's why you get wrinkles and gray hair and physically hurt after moving, that's why all that happens. Your spirit, your identity is life because of the Spirit of God that has made you righteous. He's changed your identity. And that changes some things about your driver's license when you stand before the judge in court. You hand God your ID and this is what it says when the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim His excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That, first and foremost, is what determines what kind of tree you are. Good trees are those who have been born again with the Spirit of Christ that dwells within them, who believe by faith in the Son of God. Bad trees are those who are in the flesh, who still have their minds set on the flesh, who are hostile towards God. How then do we know what kind of tree we are? Because if identity matters, and we want to be the good tree, and we don't want to be the bad tree, how do we know? This is where number two comes in. Recognition matters. The tree that produces fruit. Each tree is then known, recognized by its own fruit. What you produce reveals what you are. What you produce reveals what you are. It reveals your identity. There was a quote in Batman Begins one time that said, It's not who you are. It's what you do that defines you. And I remember at first thinking, man, that's such a good quote. And then like later as I grew in theology, I was like, it's only half true. Because who you are matters. Identity matters. Now they did also get the second part of it correct. What you do does define who you are. Because it reveals who you are. It gives the fruit of who you are. It shows what your identity is. As Luke 8.21 says, Jesus answered them, My mother and my brothers, who he's saying, my family. When they give you the driver's license, it shows that they bear my last name. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I love that. I mean, Jesus puts it as plain and simple as it goes. Those who believe in me, hear my word and do it. They do it. The disciples of Jesus are known by what they do. Now, one thing that should be said to avoid any possible confusion, your fruit does not save you. Your fruit does not save you. Your fruit does not change the type of tree that you are. If you are a bad tree bearing bad fruit, trying to stick good fruit to your branches is not going to change the type of tree that you are. 
Let's say an apple tree, for example, is a bad tree. And an orange tree is good. Nothing against apples. I like apples. But if the apple tree said, I don't want to be bad anymore. I want, I want to do good. I want to be good. And it tried producing oranges. It's never going to work because its identity is an apple tree. It can only produce apples. And let's say that apple tree is like, all right, I'm going to get rid of my apples. I'm going to get rid of my bad fruit. And I'm going to start plucking from the orange tree oranges that are good fruit. I'm going to start attaching them to my own tree. What's going to happen? Those oranges are going to rot because the identity of the tree is still bad. It's not good. Trying to be good is not going to change its identity. And this is why the doctrine of justification is so important for us. Because the doctrine of justification is the only way in which God can change the type of tree you are. It's the only way that it can change your identity. Here's what we believe about justification. It is by grace alone. It's a gift to be received by faith alone. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone, our great God and Savior. It is not inclusive of anything that we do. Anything that we do. Salvation is not contingent on me, but Jesus alone. Not what I do, but what he did for me through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Not through the life I live, but through the death he died. It is not my own doing. It is a gift received. And I trust in Jesus so that when I stand before God, my Father, my answer will be Jesus. Jesus. Why should I let you into heaven? Jesus. Period. That's my answer. How? Because of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, the bad trees. God made him, Jesus, to be sin. A bad tree. Who knew no sin. He never produced any bad fruit. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the good tree. Righteous. And the righteousness of God. This was not our doing. We, we can't stand before God and say, I paid you back. No, you, you did not die for your sins. Jesus did. I lived a good life. No, Jesus lived a good life on your behalf. Well, I have some righteousness through my good morality, my political affiliation, my own worldview, my good deeds. No, there, there's no one good, not even one. The only one good is Jesus. And he's the only one considered righteous. And he has given you his righteousness. Justification is the only way in which the bad tree can become a good tree. It has to be shaped by Jesus alone. And that's why we can say with confidence what Paul says in Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Trying to produce the oranges is not going to change the fact that you're an apple tree. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one can say before God, I did it. 
I went to church my whole life. I gave real generously. I tried to do good deeds. I helped the poor. I looked after widows and orphans. All of that may be well and good, but it's not sufficient for you to become, to, to overcome your debt of sin to God. And it is not sufficient to pay the penalty of your debt of sin to God. Simply trust in Jesus. That's it. Trust in Jesus and everything works out. Your relationship with God is secure through faith in and grace from Jesus. Now, with that being said, with that being said, how do we know if we are justified? How do we know if he's transferred us from an apple tree to an orange tree? By what we do. By what we do. Those who hear my word and do it. Sometimes we make the mistake of so focusing on the justification by faith alone and not works that we've somehow bought into the lie that the doing of works is anti-gospel. Guys, listen to this. Jen Wilkin, an author and Bible teacher, says, Sin is defined as lawlessness. So sin is lawlessness. Therefore, righteousness would be considered lawfulness. Lawfulness. So many Christians believe Christianity is not about rules, but about a relationship. Do you hear that? What is that saying? We don't want law. But lawlessness is the definition of sin. In fact, lost people are considered lawless men and women. Therefore, Christians should be the most lawful of all people. But when we say that, we get nervous because we don't want to be Pharisees. We get nervous because we don't want to be guilty of legalism. We get nervous whenever we talk about obedience because all of a sudden now we think we're earning our salvation. But honestly, I just think that's a lie that has been thrown into the church to create stale, stagnant, not producing any fruit Christians. That's what it's done. And so we think in our heads a wrong understanding that legalists are those who are lawful. However, what a legalist actually is, is taking God's law, which is intended to bring God glory, and twisting it to bring glory to self. Look what I've done. Making the legalist another form of lawlessness. So law is not the problem. It's the one who is trying to obey the law out of an impure motive or out of an unrighteous identity. It's the apple tree trying to produce oranges. That's the legalist. What is beautiful and right and good is the apple tree that seeks to produce as many apples as possible. That's beautiful. That is God honoring and that is worshipful. This is why the Pharisees were considered whitewashed tombs. On the outside, their fruit looks good. Righteous even. But on the inside, they were dead. 
apple trees trying to attach oranges to its branches. Just as much as that is a sin, so also, listen to this, it is a sin for those who say, I am righteous, but don't produce fruit that is righteous. Just as much as it is a sin to be unrighteous, producing righteousness out of deeds, it is just as much a sin to say, I am righteous, and yet produce no righteousness. I hear the word of God. I profess the word of God. But I don't do it. I don't do it. James would go on to say, that apple tree is no apple tree. You say you have faith without works. I show you my faith by my works. So your identity matters and the recognition of the fruit you produce matters. They both have to be present. And the thing that brings these two together is the heart. Number three, heart matters. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. I want you to see this, Deuteronomy 5, 26-29. Keep that, hear my word and do it in your mind. This is where Jesus gets that from. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Like who can hear God's word and still live? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to all or, and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. All right, this is the Israelites waiting for Moses to be able to go and hear from God. He hears from God and lives only because of the the given righteousness to him. And what they're begging is to hear the word of God so that they can do it, so that they can live it out. And here's what the Lord responds to that. The Lord heard your words, and when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me, to know me, to love me, to, to worship me, and to keep all of my commandments, that it might go well with them, and with their descendants forever. What, what leads to life, what leads to legacy, what leads to descendants forever, eternity, is the ability to be able to fear God, hear His word, and also to be able to keep His word and His commandments. Those two coming together. And it's only out of the heart what we treasure that will lead to what we are and what we do. Where do we get that? Where does that come from? It's also in Deuteronomy. This is where he pulls those two things. The ability to be able to hear the word of God and keep his commandments flows into this one thing. Oh, that they might have the heart for this. This is where he comes to the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. There's the heart. And with all your soul, there's the identity. And with all your might, there's the works. Heart, soul, works. He's working backwards here as Jesus is putting it. Jesus is going with identity, works, and heart. 
It's the totality of your being that must be transformed. And it begins with your heart. This is why God promises to give us a new heart that transforms our identity, which then transforms our fruit, what we do. This is why as he's continuing to work with Israel, and they are struggling. They're like, man, we, we are hearing your word, but we are struggling to keep it. Because based on the equation that we're seeing, those two things have to happen in order for us to be considered righteous. How can we do this if we hear your word but can't keep it? And he says this to them in Jeremiah 24, 3-7. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs. The good figs, very good. And the bad figs, very bad. So bad that they cannot be eaten. Jesus drawing on a little bit of Old Testament illustration here. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good. I love that. God says, I will set my eyes on them. I will see them. And I will pursue them for good. And I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. And here's the clincher right here. I will give them a heart. A heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. The only way to return to God is when God gives us a heart that is able to do that. This is where he says, you can also see this in Ezekiel as well, where he says, I will give them a heart. I will remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I will remove the heart that is dead and unable to hear the word of God and do it. And I will give them a heart that is living and breathing because it is the spirit of Christ that dwells within them that is now able to allow them as sheep to hear the shepherd and follow the shepherd. Do exactly whatever it is that he has commanded us. We are in full dependence upon the Lord to grant us a new heart, which gives us a new identity, which leads to us having new fruit and works to accomplish for the Lord. And we know we have received this gift if we respond to God by faith, trusting in Jesus and desiring to hear his word and do it out of joyful obedience. I want to close with this passage in John 15. Because you might be wondering, like, how does this just work itself out functionally? Like, how do I practice this? Being an apple tree, recognizing fruit that is being produced out of the abundance of my heart. That, that, I'm, that I'm trusting and believing in Jesus is the spirit of Christ that dwells within me. How does this work? Abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. John 15 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So he's doing two things here. He's saying, if you want to be an apple tree, you got to first be connected to the main apple tree. And that's me. I'm the vine. 
Not only that, but you're going to need someone to tend to it. Someone to work it. Someone to connect you to it. And that's the role of the father. I'm the vine dresser to the vine. He goes down in verse 4 and he says this. Abide in me and I in you. To abide, if you do some work there in, in the original language, it, it's, it's to abode. It's to live in. Live in me as I live in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, unless it lives in the vine, unless it lives in Christ. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from connected to the main apple tree. Actually, I should be saying orange tree the whole time. I've been saying apple, whatever. <laughs> apart from being connected to Jesus, we can never bear any fruit that recognizes us as disciples of his. We have to be first and foremost connected to him. For verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, hear my words and do it. If you abide in Jesus, my words abide in you. Ask then whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, that is not saying, give me the life and American dream that I have thought of since a child. Here's the amount of cars I want. Here's the size house I want. Here's the job I want. Here's all the... It is not asking all of those things. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't ask those things. But there's something different when you start looking at verses and passages like Matthew 6 where those who worry about their house and their clothing and what they're going to eat and so forth like the, the necessities of life he says that's not what I actually want you to pursue what I want you to first seek is the kingdom of God and all those things will be given to you like in God's providence over your life he's already worked out all of those things and the measure in which he's going to grant those things to you that's why the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is literally dead. Because God's already determined what he's going to give everybody. In addition to that, what we are to ask is what God is going to do through us that produces the fruit of the spread and advancement of the gospel message in the ministry that he's called us to. That's what we are to ask, and it will be given to us. You don't have fruit of discipleship because you don't ask for fruit of discipleship. You don't engage it. You don't hear my words and do it. You don't mature spiritually. And so he might have to come in as the vine dresser and do some pruning and cutting and disciplining in order to get us to that place where we understand rightly what we are to actually ask. That's why I love Romans 8 when it talks about um, when we pray, how we don't know what to pray for as we ought and what the role of the Spirit of God, of God is and the Spirit of Christ that dwells within us is literally just shot blocking ridiculous prayers. It's saying, 
Here's, he means well. But this is really what we need to do for him. He's asking for this. We already know what we're going to give him. Let's, let's just ignore that and say no to it. And let's give him what he needs. The Spirit intercedes for us on behalf. So that as we continue to ask and see how God answers, it actually changes and matures the way we pray because we now are able to see, you know what? I kept praying for that one thing that never produced any oranges. Let me just stop praying for that. Because here's how God actually answered. Now, as I pray more for how he answered, all of a sudden now I'm seeing more oranges. He's aligning me with his will and how he thinks and how he's designed things to work and function. And it's making me more like Jesus. I think like Jesus. I treasure like Jesus. I produce fruit like Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, Jesus, so have I loved you. Abide in that love. If you keep my commandments. That's not legalism. That's just love. If you keep my commandments. I mean, what we're saying when we're scared of legalism is that we think God is intending malicious intent on our life. Like, I don't know how to say it. Like, we think he, he wants bad for us and not good. It means we distrust him. If you keep my commandments, hold on, God, that... It just doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem right. It seems like I'm wanting to perform my religiosity for others to see. And, and No, no, no. That's just revealing your identity. Your identity. But the one who desires to do those things for the glory of God by keeping his commandments, that's revealing that you're a disciple. That you're a disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. His relationship included the rules. I mean, not one time did Jesus... As he's walking through his life, felt as though following the rules of his father was bad for him. But it was the joy that he received in abiding in that relationship because of the love the father had for him and the love that he had for the father can't get enough of keeping the commandments. 
of being lawful of all people. What that should do for us is it frees us to read your Bible as much as you want to. And if you're like, I don't want to that much, (laughs) then it's bringing that to Jesus and saying, I've got some things to ask so that I can have. I'm asking you for a greater desire for your word. And guess what? He'll give that to you. I don't want to share this good news with other people. Let's ask so that he will give to us that desire to share with others and to be with sinners just as Jesus was because of his love for the Father and his Father's love for him. That's where he went because God loves his enemies. Grow me in that. Ask and it will be given to you. And as we have been sharing over the last few weeks, this is the goal for the year. He says this in verse 11 of John 15. These things I have spoken to you, this matters so much. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You want to rob yourself of joy? Stay worried about legalism. Stay worried about what other people might think of you if you share good news about Jesus Christ with them. Stay worried about what you might institutionalize in your children that the world says is not good for them but is actually life that you're trying to give them. Stay worried about those things if you want to rob yourself of joy. But if you want your joy to be full, abiding in the love of Jesus as He's abiding in us, living in Christ as He's living in us, hear His word and do it. Be free to do it. Like, make a list this week. I mean, there, there was a time, I won't use any names, but there was a time where someone was like, man, I really want to just dive into study. I don't want to dive into scripture memorization. And I want to dive into just reading the Bible more. And I just, I want more of that. So I'm going to create a checklist. And I'm going to create a schedule. And I'm going to do all these things. And another believer said, I just don't think that's the way God designed relationship with him to work and function. That, that just is legalistic. You're going to rob yourself of joy. You're, going to, you're creating a checklist. And when you, don't, when you don't do it perfectly, you're going to bring condemnation on yourself. What they just did in that moment is bring condemnation on you by keeping you from the very thing that actually brings you life. Brings you life. What rather we should be saying if someone comes to us and says, hey, will you hold me accountable to this? Will you, as David said, like, rebuke me in a good way? Like, can you correct me in this? Can Can you in a kind way hold me to this? 
What we should have said was, hey, can you share your list with me? So that throughout the week, I can be praying over it and that I can ask you, where are you at on the list? What are you learning from the Lord here? What are you experiencing in your memorization of Scripture? How are you seeing the love of Jesus as you're reading through the Bible? As you're studying it? What is it revealing about yourself? And, and, the, and the bad fruit that you're wanting to throw off and the good fruit that's beginning to be produced. What, what are you seeing in all of that? Like, that's us edifying one another and encouraging one another. It's good. What we ought to be doing is helping one another recognize the fruit that we're producing. This is another illustration into the same topic of last week of how we judge one another. Look at the fruit. Look at their fruit. What's coming out? If we see bad fruit, we want to be able to call that out and say, brother, sister, what are we still holding on to that is leading to that bad fruit? And how can we hear God's word and be able to keep it and follow it and trust it so that we might produce good fruit that leads to our joy being full? As it comes to this time of communion, John 15, in this abiding relationship, he says this in verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How has he loved us? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Some of the fruit that we are going to produce. And maybe this is one of those things where I don't necessarily have this desire to lay down my life for my friends. Ask. Jesus, will you help me lay down my life for my friends? Will you help me create space in my life for my friends? What do I need to sacrifice in order to do that? What do I need to reschedule in order to do that? What do I need to change about myself in order to do that? Help me understand those things so that I can lay my life down for my friends. And the ultimate picture of this is what Jesus has done. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. He comes to the cross. And he places his righteous, holy, blameless, spotless body on that cross. And he becomes blameful. And he becomes spot ridden. He becomes sinful. So that God is looking out at every single one of us who will believe and trust in him. Who he grants a heart to hear his word and respond to it. He takes all of their blame and all of their sin and he takes it to the cross and he places it on Jesus and he makes him sin. He makes Jesus an apple tree so that you and I might become an orange tree. 
and he crushes him. He crushes him. I mean, that's the ultimate laying down of your life for your friends. For those who he's going to save. He's not asking much of us <laughs> and commanding of us to lay down our lives for those that we want to see fruit produced out of and joy be filled up. So let's go ahead and stand. <clears throat> and let's come to this time of communion. I want you guys, for those who for those who have had a heart transformed and that's recognized by fruit, that's recognized by identity that's been changed, who can say, I was lost, now I'm found. I was in the domain of darkness, now I'm in the kingdom of the beloved son. I was unrighteous, now I'm righteous. I was once a sinner, now I'm a saint. I was once lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. If you can say that by faith in Jesus, then we invite you to this table to celebrate the sacrifice that made it possible for you to be able to say that. So come, grab the elements, and when you come back to your seats, we will partake together and remember and worship Jesus. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at